0: Once again, Elijah and Elisha uh, in First and Second Kings. So uh, this week we are looking once again at an anointing, an anointing by Elisha, uh, kind of fulfilling some of the larger prophecies that have surrounded our book, that uh, that opened our book in First Kings. And so, well, last week we looked at the kind of odd anointing of Hazael the enemy king of Syria who would actually bring judgment and destruction to the people of Israel for their repentance. Now we're seeing uh, kind of the opposite side of this coin where God is appointing not an evil unjust king but actually taking one evil unjust king out of power and replacing him with a righteous king who will fulfill some of the prophecies and will restore the people of God, to right rule. Now, as we look at this, uh, we aren't inherently interested in Jehu in the, as the king of Israel. We are far more interested in Jesus, the king of our kingdom, if you put your faith in Christ. And so we're going to look at how uh, Jehu kind of foreshadows and, and points forward to a far better king, Jesus Christ, and how his anointing uh, is a great blessing to us. So we'll look at a couple of things. We're looking at, uh, at the anointing of the king, why that is such a big deal, why we should uh, praise God for Christ's anointing, the work of this king. What has God given us a king to, to do for us? And finally, how can we as followers receive this anointed king and live under him? All this is going to help us understand better who Jesus is. And so let us uh, pray that that might happen by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have anointed a king, King Jesus. And Lord, we ask that that you take us one step further towards loving and adoring our king, towards following him, towards delighting in him, and uh, living to build his kingdom. Lord, would you help us? Would you... uh, Make these things, not fall on deaf ears. Uh, would we not see ourselves in the mirror and then forget what we look like? But Lord, would we read your scripture? Would we know it? And would you change our hearts and our lives because of what we pray in Christ's name? Amen. All right, All right so we begin by looking at uh, Elisha's anointing of this true king in Israel, starting at chapter nine. Then Elisha the prophet. "'called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, "'Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand "'and go to Ramoth-Gilead. "'And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, "'the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, "'and go in and have him rise from among his fellows "'and lead him to an inner chamber. "'Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, "'Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel.' Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. When he came, behold, the commanders of the armies were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? He said, To you, O commander. And he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anoint you king over all the people of the Lord, over Israel. All right. So, one of the roles of a true prophet is to anoint true kings. Those who will serve God, fulfill prophecy, build the kingdom. And as we saw, this is actually, uh, you should remember this. This actually uh, is a fulfillment of something that came... A while before, this was not originally Elisha's task. This was a task given to Elijah. 1st King 1915, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. We saw that last week. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet now remember the context here this was elijah as he was standing before the lord having his pity party that he was the last of any follower of all of israel had descended into idolatry he was the last covenant keeper and he was crying out to the lord saying you have to save me you have to do something or else your covenant will fall And God says, no, first of all, I have reserved those who are not worshippers of Baal, and I have anointed these three, one of which is Jehu, one of the commanders of the armies of Israel to be king. Now, finally, long after this task was given to Elijah, it has been passed to Elisha, Passed to the servant and it was finally completed. All right. But there's kind of a problem in the air. Open the door and flee. Do not linger. All right. What's the problem? What's the problem with this servant going in and anointing this king, declaring him king over Israel? There is already a king. There is already a king in Israel, Jehoram the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And so what is, what is happening here? Elisha's servant is inciting a revolt. This is rebellion. This is instigating a, a brand new dynasty. God is usurping one kingdom and replacing it with another. All right. So uh, what do we take from this? First, God chooses all rulers. He chooses all rulers. That is uh, just universally acknowledged in Scripture. And sometimes, sometimes God gives actually evil, terrible rulers power. Those like Hazael, who are used to bring destruction, to bring judgment, that people might know their sin and they might cry out to the Lord for salvation. Sometimes that is how the Lord works. And we receive God's rule when He does. Now, other times, other times, God chooses righteous leaders. Righteous leaders who are grace and a mercy to His people, who replace those unjust and evil kings, evil rulers, evil powers, and bring life and grace and mercy. And that is what we have in this passage. God in his abundant grace is anointing Jehu, a true and good king. Now we have another reality here. Is that God, God can incite rebellion. He can incite revolt. He is king. We are not king. We do not get to do these things, but God can. And he replaces evil with good. That's the the ultimate trajectory. He does it over and over again in the rulers of Israel, the rulers of Judah. He replaces an evil king with a good one. Now, I ask us this morning, do we receive that as the grace that it is? Do we rejoice that God gives us rulers and authorities, that he puts in power good, righteous, and true kings? Now, for many of us, we receive power and authority and and rulers, not as a grace, but as an oppression, as a judgment, as constraint. As something to, to shake off of. All right, that, is not, that is not what God is doing here. That He anoints kings and rulers as a gift to His people, that they might be a source of true wisdom and knowledge, that they know better the path of life and they can lead His people down that path. He can. He can see reality as God has made it and calls people to walk in that reality, to walk in life, to walk in truth, to walk in justice, to punish evil and to reward good. There is great grace in a good king, in a good ruler, in good authority. And so my first question is, do we just have that category? Do you have the category of like, oh, being blessed by leaders and rulers? Kids, Are you, do you feel blessed by having rulers and authorities, your parents over you? Do you receive that as a grace from God? That, that is what it should be. Do you trust God to work through the authorities that he has put in place? Either wicked like Hazael or righteous like Jehu. But always falling short of the ultimate true and holy king. Do you trust God to be working? And now as we talk about this, uh, we want to make sure we're having our categories straight. All right, so God anointed this king Jehu then. And he is anointed a king Now. And as we work through these categories, my fear is that some of you uh, have the wrong categories in mind right now, and that you're thinking of presidents and social leaders, that you're thinking of senators and house of representatives, and, and that, that's what you're thinking of. And when you hear this, what you're thinking, you're like, yes, Lord, yes. Let us kick out those evil authorities that are ruling over us. Let us rebel. Let us take them down. Give us our righteous king, our next president, our next election. Lord, work. All right. I know you have that spirit. We'll talk about that later. Uh, All right. That is a bad interpretation of this passage. That is not what we're talking about. And I know that that's the categories that many, like, like, you're thinking, and like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I can get behind replacing an evil authority with a good one. No, it's not what we're talking about. So this is not about presidents. is not about kings or queens or social leaders, All right? Elijah, through these mediators, was called to anoint Jehu. That is to be parallel to the better Elijah, John the Baptist, appointing a better king, Jesus Christ. That is what this passage is about. That is the trajectory of Scripture. That is what we're supposed to take from it. And we think about, okay, then, what what does this tell us? What do we learn about the anointing of Jehu that tells us about the anointing of our Savior? When was Jesus anointed King? And we go back to Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3:13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That is what we should think of. That is what we should think of when we see Jehu and, and righteous leaders made king. That John the Baptist, in that same spirit of Elijah... Anointed Jesus, not with oil, but by the very Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus was declared to be king, not not by just a, a decision of the Lord to anoint a human as king, but to recognize that this is the divine king, this is the Son of God. And that he rules not as just a, a random choice, but as the one who pleases God, who is holy and who is righteous and beloved by the king of the universe, the father who sits on the throne. That that, that king has been anointed in his kingdom Kingdom of God. And just like Jehu, there was a problem. When Jesus came to be anointed king, there was already a king here. The prince of the powers of the air, Satan, the devil, he had already established a kingdom, he was already ruling. He was ruling in a kingdom of death and evil and idolatry. And when God anointed Jesus, he was starting a great rebellion. He was starting a rebellion against not just the kingdom of Satan, but all of our participation in the kingdom of Satan that you cannot, you cannot rule yourself, you cannot be but one of two kingdoms. Jesus' kingdom or the kingdom of darkness. And God was declaring war with the kingdom of darkness in Jesus Christ, establishing a kingdom of joy and of glory and of holiness that would destroy the kingdoms of death. And so we we receive this passage, and we don't. We don't think of all of the kingdoms. We don't think of our country. We don't think of anyone else's country. We think of that reality. There are two kings. There are two kingdoms. And we already have a king on the throne. That God has appointed his king. He doesn't need to appoint another one. He's not going to appoint another one. If Revelation taught us anything, it's that, well, mm, to recognize that in some sense, every other ruler is part of a different kingdom than the kingdom of grace in Christ. Do we joyfully recognize that Jesus has been anointed king of the universe, king of the world, king of the lives of those who put their faith in him? Do we receive that as this great blessing, as a mercy, as a source of wisdom and life? Do we live as citizens? Do we recognize that that is, that is the blessing of being a follower, to heaven as king? All right, let's keep going. So, uh, he is anointed king to, to, to do what? So we go back to Jehu. We go back to the parallel. So we've been talking about the story of Elijah and Elisha. It started at 1 Kings 17. It started with King Ahab. King Ahab, who had married Jezebel, a worshiper of Baal, and had polluted Israel, had drawn all of his people into idolatry, into Baal worship. We saw the murders of King Ahab. Murdering a man to so they could have a vegetable garden, trying to kill the God's prophets, challenging God and usurping His power, and the nice thing is, all right, there's nothing worse than stories that are left hanging, that don't resolve the problems that the enemies don't get destroyed or the, the struggles don't get resolved. All right, this is not that kind of story. All right, in all of Scripture, we should be looking for the fulfillment and all of the fulfillment of all of this horrible horrible stuff that's happening, all of the promises that Ahab would be destroyed, that his offspring would, would fall, all of them come to a point in Jehu. The fulfillment. Verse 7. This is Jehu's task. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I shall cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Bashar, the son of Ahijah, and the dog shall eat Jezebel, and the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. All right, this is a task that Jehu's been given. He has been anointed king that he might bring judgment against the wicked king Ahab and his dynasty, in his offspring, in his wife, and in all of Baal worship that has taken over Israel. And you know what Jehu does. He does an amazing job of it. <laughs> all right, he 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 kills it. Literally. All right, first first he All right, so what does he do? He goes out immediately and he hunts down the current king of Israel, Jeroboam. He takes him out. And then it just describes him like we knew, we knew that it was Jehu for he rides furiously. All right, he is determined. Then what does he do? He goes and he goes to to Jezreel. And he sees Jezebel standing in her tower and he commands as the new king of Israel, throw her down. All right. They throw her from the tower. Horses trample her into the dust. Dogs come and eat her. And at the end, they say, let's bury Jezebel. And they go to the spot and they said, there's nothing left. All right. I can't help but thinking of, like, like 90s movies, action films, where, like, the, the, the villain, the like terrible villain, you're like, how are we ever going to make sure that he gets what he deserves? And it usually means he's like electrocuted and then blown up, and it's like you know this, this, and you're like, oh yeah, we got him. All right, that's exactly what happens here. All right, Jezebel is just wiped off the face of the earth. Total judgment. All right, keeps going. All right, this is a good one. All right, Jehu, he then organizes a worship service for Baal. And he basically tells all of the Baal worshippers, "Hey, I want to be coronated king in the temple of Baal. So everyone come who wants to worship Baal." And all the prophets of Baal come, and all of the worshippers of Baal come. And he comes in and says, "I'm going to be anointed." He locks the door, and he wipes out every worshipper of Baal. He destroys the idols of Baal. He burns the temple to the ground, and then he declares that that space shall be a public toiletry for the rest of eternity. <laughs> That's, he did his job. He's he's incredibly creative, and he adds insult to injury. Like he he does it. He is a true king. He's a good king as far as it goes. He does what is commanded of him. And he wipes out Baal worship. He fulfills all of these lingering, hanging judgments and prophecies. He he brings judgment on behalf of Yahweh. Now, sadly, he doesn't go far enough. So what does he not do? He doesn't destroy the the idols of Yahweh in Bethel and Dan. He doesn't get rid of the calves. He doesn't tell everyone to go back to Jerusalem. No, he doesn't go that far. So he cannot stand as a truly righteous king. No king can. And that's one more hint that this is not about Jehu. It's not about the events here. It is once again pointing to the parallel of Jesus Christ. The perfect king who passionately and powerfully fulfills his mission that God has given him. Only he is not taking on flesh and blood. What is he taking on? He is taking on that very kingdom of Satan. His mission is to bring ultimate judgment against all evil and death and sin and rebellion, and darkness. And he does it just as passionately, and like we're supposed to see Jesus and Jehu and think, yes, yes, that's, that's the spirit of our Savior in which he destroys the kingdom of Satan. We should see Jesus prevailing against the gates of hell. And we see Jesus. What does he do the second after he is anointed with the Holy Spirit, as we said, he goes straight into the desert to do battle and to endure temptation from Satan and to reject his own glory, to reject his own comforts, to reject being given a kingdom at the expense of idolatry. And throughout his mission, what does he do? He just he does, he tramples the kingdom of darkness He binds the strong man and casts out demons. He ends oppression and heals the sick and the blind. He goes head to head against the rulers of the kingdom of darkness in that day, against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the self-righteous judgment, judgmental religious leaders who condemn and hold themselves up, and live under self-righteousness and pride. And he does it with, with power, and he does it with, with great emotion, and like with the same spirit of Jehu. All right, Jesus gets angry as he does battle with the, the hard-heartedness and sinfulness of the rulers of the kingdom of darkness. Angered at their judgment, angered at their failure to understand the, the love and mercy of God. He sees a man with a wizard hand on the Sabbath and like when the people, will, when the Pharisees will judge him for healing on the Sabbath, he, he gets angry. How dare you not understand what the kingdom of God is all about? that you would think it's about making sure you never heal on the Sabbath, that you might be righteous. We see him with the same passion as we saw last week, weeping, weeping over Jerusalem, weeping over the sorrows of his people, weeping over the, the state of the nation that he loves. We see him full of compassion, that his heart breaks for the widow, that it breaks for the sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. We see Jesus sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane, doing battle with the kingdom of darkness. We see him endure the hatred of both enemy and friend as they reject him and destroy him and hang him on the cross. This is the passion of our Savior, that he fights that battle to the very death. But like Jehu, what is he doing? There's a trick in it. And then as he resurrects from the dead, what does he really do? He is defeating death, defeating sin, defeating darkness, defeating evil, and killing the kingdom of Satan. Freeing people from their sins and the judgment and the wrath that they deserve, taking it upon himself and bringing them into the kingdom of light, freeing them from the kingdom of darkness. That is the work of our Savior. That is the work of our King death and resurrection. But then Jesus keeps going. He does more and does more and does more. And so what does he promise to do? He promises not just to to establish a kingdom or to to offer an alternative path. No, he, he wants to destroy sin once and for all, that this kingdom might be without blemish, without impurity, that the sin in the very hearts of his people would be no more. And he promises that he will come and create the perfect kingdom where there's nothing but joy and peace and holiness and righteousness and glory for all as they glorify God. All right, that is the king. That is the king that we have, that is the king that we worship, that is the king that we follow, if our faith is in him. All right. Let us rejoice in the work of our Savior, or the work of our King. He is unparalleled. Why? Why would we go looking for another king? Why would we go go? lamenting the kings of the world or longing for the kings of the world when we have this Savior, if we have all of these abundant promises, when we have a king who has done such work and continues to do that work in us and promises to take us to the very end that we may enjoy this kingdom for all eternity. Let us know the work of our king. Let us worship him. And now that leaves our last section here the king's followers. There is a decision to be made. Verse 11 When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? He said to them, You know the fellow and his talk. They said, That is not true. Tell us now. He said, Thus, and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. His group of commanders, they are not content until they hear the word of Elisha pointing to the words of Elijah, these men of God. And they demand to know what it is, and hearing it, they cast their garments upon the floor. An act of submission and service and recognition of the king. They proclaim, Jehu is king. They take part in the great rebellion. These are the military leaders of Jehoram's army. And yet, they hear the word of the Lord. They hear the word of this prophet. And they cast off the old king and they run to the new one, Jehu is king. Now we recognize that if we are going to have Jesus as our king, we have to be rebels. We have to cast off our other king. We have to leave the kingdom of darkness and death behind. And so I said we'd come back to that rebellious spirit. I like the rebellious spirit. It's good. It's just the wrong rebels, okay? The wrong rebellion. It's bigger I don't want you all to to bear arms and go on a civil war. I want more than that. All right, what do I want you to rebel against? I want you to rebel against the kingdoms of darkness. I want you to rebel against the current king and his kingdom, Satan and the principalities and the demons and rulers over the cosmos. Rebel, reject, destroy. I want you to rebel against the idea that there is any life in sin. There is no life in sin. There is nothing to be gained by it. And rebel against the poison that is being shoved into your mouth to appease you even as you are dying. Spit it out. Rebel against your own doubts, against your blasphemous thoughts about the goodness of God, of your rebelliousness against this God who has called himself good and who rules justly and rightly. Rebel against your rebellion of God. Rebel against America and its idols. Rebel against wealth and self-fulfillment. Rebel against selfishness and independence. Rebel against the American dream and choose the Christian mission. Rebel against Lady Babylon dripping with her wealth to distract you and to entrap you in the kingdom of darkness. Rebel against her. Destroy her and reject her. Rebel against men and women. Rebel against acceptance and people-pleasing. Rebel against seeking their honor. Rebel against entrusting yourself to man and not to God you might need to rebel against mother and father, sister and brother. That you have a family that you are submitting to. Rebel against your own autonomy and self-rule. Rebel against your own loves, your own passions, your own desires that are destroying you. Be rebels. Be deeper and further rebels than you can imagine that you might have this king, that you might be part of this kingdom, that you might as passionately as Jesus destroy the kingdoms of darkness and build up the kingdoms of light. And there's this remarkable thing that happens when we do. Because this might be, okay, yes, go. go rebel that you might be a servant. You might be a servant in the kingdom of God. Yeah, to clean floors in the kingdom of God is enough. But it's more than that. All right, so we have this anointed one. Yes, he is high and he is fulfilled with power of the Holy Spirit. But what does he become? This king, who is the anointed one, then becomes the anointing one. Who gives us that same Holy Spirit. Who empowers us to do the work that we've been called to. And who lifts us out of being mere servants. And what does he call us? He calls us brothers and sisters. He calls us fellow rulers and heirs. He calls us as a royal-blooded family. That is the extent of the grace and the mercy of our great king. That He doesn't rule over us from on high, but his throne includes all of us that we sit on it with him. That if you have put your faith in Christ, you are already seated in the heavenly places with him. That is our king. That is the king. If we would receive him, In his death and resurrection, that we would receive the life that he was given if we would turn from the kingdoms of darkness and seek him in his kingdom of grace. Do you delight in your king? Do you praise God that you have a king over you? Do you praise him for the work that he has done? Do you submit to him and to his work? And do you follow him? Let us continue. Or let us start, if we have not, submitting to our great King Jesus, that we may find life in him and joy and peace and grace. Amen. Father, to you belongs all glory and reign and power forever. And Jesus, you are right to be on the throne. You alone deserve to be there. You have earned it. And Father, we we have not. We will not. And yet in your infinite grace, you've said that mere faith is enough. By faith, we are saved, that is a gracious gift, and that we are included in your kingdom, that we are anointed as sons and daughters. Lord, we confess we are hard hearted, that we seek to rule in our own place, that we seek the kingdoms of darkness, that we seek the the currency of the world and of death and father we ask that you might break our hearts that you might show us the goodness of our great king jesus that we might cast down our cloaks so we might blow the trumpet and declare that jesus is king lord we do so with great joy knowing that we who die with him will live in him and with him for all eternity. To you be all rule and power and authority forever and ever, we pray.